Welcome to the Artipop podcast. As the founder of Artipop, I've always felt we live in a highly conventional era when it comes to motherhood. But also that change is near. Therefore, I created this podcast to give voice to different refreshing perspectives around motherhood and life in general. I've asked a journalist, Kaira van Wijk, to host this series for you. Let's use our feminine energy to shape the future. Hello there, thanks for tuning in. This is your host, Kaira. Today we have Laura Storm as a guest, a pioneering voice in the field of sustainability and maybe even more importantly, regeneration. She's from Denmark and well known for her book, Regenerative Leadership, which is about giving back to the earth in whatever leadership role we take on whether that be as a CEO or as a parent. In this interview, she shares her groundbreaking insights about living a life in tune with nature, while also being part of our modern society now and in the future. Well, let's get to it. Hi, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Yeah, very well. Have you had a busy day? Kinda. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) lots going on. Yeah, a bit. We just moved back from Portugal. Ah, you did? To Copenhagen. So we are adjusting family life and kids and work to um, city living again, at least for a while. Why did you decide to move back? The purpose was just to go abroad for a year and study the principles of nature and learning from, from nature and being living in tune with nature for a year. I could have done longer time. Interesting. But we missed grandparents and we were quite isolated where we lived in uh, in Portugal. Um, also because we moved there during lockdown and COVID and pandemics and whatnot. So, um, and my partner quit his job and he's been taking care of the kids and been kind of like the full-time dad. And, um, and he was also longing to get back into his work life. Yeah. And not be a full-time dad. I get that. Um, so um, we had kind of like an agreement that this was a one-year project. Yeah. Must have been a beautiful year. But I can also imagine uh, as a parent, it's so important to have your community there, to have the grandparents there. It's like a massive help. Oh, yeah. Community is everything. And this experience really helped to truly experience that on a on an embodied level meaning we talk so much about the importance of community but when you're suddenly isolated in a foreign country where you don't speak the language and you live alone on a farm it becomes really really obvious that there's no 100% thriving if we are not part of a community yeah let's start with your book regenerative leadership you make a very clear distinction between sustainability and regenerative. Could you please explain? The movement of regenerative and the concept of regenerative leadership does not distance itself from sustainability. But sustainability is just, um, it's, it's on the path to regeneration, but it's not enough. Because when we look around the world right now, do we, do we really want to sustain what we have right now? 
Or maybe rather what is needed is an approach where we as human beings see ourselves as, as stewards and caretakers of this planet. And therefore, we need to embody and we need to practice a regenerative approach to everything that we do. And in our book, we cover regenerative leadership because we believe there's an urgent need for us to, to change the way we lead and run nations and organizations and communities, etc. So that's our little niche in the regenerative movement. But regenerative means to replenish and and heal and leave something better than you found it and it's so incredibly important that we have this approach because we need to be honest about the fact that we are we are living through the sixth mass extinction we have runaway climate change we soon have more plastic in our oceans than marine life it's it's looking pretty dire when we look at all the scientific facts And when we look outside our windows, we have floods, we have fires, we have, there's a lot of devastation going on in the world right now. And we need a radically new approach in our healing of those challenges if we want to to transition the collective on a, on a more regenerative path. And if we, at the end of the day, want to stick around as a species on this magnificent planet of ours. With all the new data coming out, are you positive about our future and those of your own children? I have to be honest that there are days where I'm incredibly sad and depressed and I have this sense of grieving, grieving for the living world. Um, but I decided quite early on, I have worked with field my entire life. And, and quite early on, as a sensitive child, it was like I made this decision that I need to do my best to approach this from a positive angle. And I need to look for the cracks of light. And that's kind of been a motto um, uh, from an early age, that I need to look for the cracks of light. And I must say that regardless of our dire situation and, and what we are living through right now as a collective, there are a lot of uh, cracks. And I do believe that the cracks are getting bigger and brighter. I have noticed that in my work, that since the pandemic, um, it's like people are taking the time to listen and to listen more deeply to what people like us in the regenerative space um, are are here to offer. And and that's not just me who, who have witnessed that and witnessed that increase in interest. Um, it's across the board that us who work in the regenerative space are suddenly being listened to. There's suddenly a willingness to hear about, okay, how about we start redesigning our organizations, our societies, with the lens of viewing them as, as living, vibrant organisms. And, and let's stare move away from this very rigid, mechanistic approach to problem solving. And let's dare to look at ourselves as stewards and caretakers. Um, that it's like there's an opening right now in the collective, um, I don't know how to explain this. Consciousness. Yeah, um, there's, there's an eagerness for a way forward where we are not just talking about uh, implementing new sustainability metrics, 
but where we where we are talking about creating thriving societies where we as human beings are thriving as well. And there's this recognition and, and something that I talk about a lot is we will never succeed uh, co-designing or building more thriving societies if we are depleted from our inner core. We need to be aware that whatever we feel and what we embody inside is what we are also manifesting in the physical world. Um, and and it does matter how we take care of ourselves. It does matter how we are showing up in this world. So, for example, the Howard Business Review shows that 98% of executives feel burned out regularly. And, and to me, that's, a, that's very depressing because we know from studying our brains under pressure, then when we are under pressure, we go into this high beta brainwave state. And it's from an evolutionary point of view, that's the brainwave state that, that means that we are still alive as a species. But it was only designed to be a gear that we could kick into if we were under threat of being killed or if a, if a sudden opportunity came across our path that we would, um, that we will explore that immediately and get resources to help us explore that opportunity. So it was a, a, a state designed for high pressure situation. And the thing about that state is that when you are in that state, all your energy goes to just kind of the key most vital organs. You get tunnel vision and you are not able to think holistically. You are not able to tap into compassion. It's physiologically, it's not impossible or it's not possible for you to be compassionate and considerate and tap into your empathy when you are in that state. And then maybe it's not a surprise we have created the kinds of societies we have when we, when we view our, our leaders that are often incredibly exhausted, burned out, depressed, etc. And it's not just our leaders. Um, a, a Gallup study from a few years ago, one of the most kind of uh, comprehensive stress studies uh, showed that, and that was interviewing 154,000 adults from 124 countries. And that clearly showed that regardless of where you were in the world, we had never been more depressed, anxious, on the verge of suicide as we are today. And to me, this is an interconnected crisis, and we need to move away from looking at it in silos. So when we are showing up into the world, regardless of our role in society, from a depleted um, point of view or from, from with depleted resources, when we feel exhausted, what we create in the world is more exhaustion and more depletion. And we need to look at that issue in a holistic and regenerative way. And that's a part of the whole um, mission of the regenerative movement to let people also explore their inner ecosystems, not just focusing on creating vibrant um outer ecosystems, which is incredibly important. But my point is that those two things go together. We need to focus on creating vitality, health, and abundance within ourselves, within our families, before we can do that in the outer world. Very holistically. Yes. You just touched on it already, but what in essence is regenerative leadership? 
to you and why is it so important now? Regenerative leadership is a practice where you look at creating whole system health, where you look at from an organizational point of view. So where's what is our role in the greater interconnected ecosystems and how can we help create health and vitality within our ecosystems and beyond? And that recognition that no man is an island, we are all part of an interconnected greater web of life. So regenerative leadership is all about creating um, more value through our actions than we take. And the bottom line is not just financially. It's about wide ecosystem health. Could you also describe what traits the strong regenerative leader of the new era needs? The most important trait of a regenerative leader is to have a very strong sense of self, knowing your own triggers, your shadows, your blind spots, and have a process in place um, that is tuning in on those because that's not something we can do on our own. But what I have seen again and again is that leaders show up in the world from an extremely wounded place. And what they then keep on creating is degenerative ripples effect. And that can be everything from... um, a tone of voice in an email or how you phrase certain things. Because when you come from a very wounded place, that's what you are also creating more of in this world. So regenerative leaders, they have a very strong sense of self. And they have that sense of self-awareness in terms of what is my actions contributing to right now? Am I creating regenerative ripples or am I creating degenerative ripples? Can I create a safe space for my employees to fully thrive? And do I have that sense of being a steward myself, of not wanting my role as a leader for the position, for the title, for the um, for the money, but I want it because I'm able to do more good for the greater good in this position. So a strong self sense of self and that ability to create safe spaces is one of the key capacities of regenerative leaders. You also talk about doing the inner work. Does that involve spirituality or what exactly do you mean by this? I think I'm always kind of um, careful not to use the word spiritual because it, it can have negative connotations to some people. And I, and I was certainly one of those Um six or seven years ago, please don't talk to me about spirituality would be where I was coming from back then. Um, but it is that sense of, uh, you can you can call it whatever you want, but it's that, it's that sensation we can create in meditation of tapping into something greater than us, tapping into, um, in the book we call it the living systems field, tapping into to something that is there that we can't really put words to or we can't see it, but it's definitely there. And it can give us guidance. It can give us a sense of calm. It can give us a sense of groundedness. And for that practice, I often use nature and I recommend everyone that come my way to tap into the to the power of nature and have that sense that we are nature as well. We are not separated from nature. It's a part of us. And how can we then create that um, deep relationship to nature and thereby to ourselves? 
So what is my inner voice telling me when I'm creating the needed calmness around myself and, and around my thoughts? And, and what is my intuitive inner voice then telling me to do in a certain situation? And that is an approach that, um, that thankfully we see more and more recognition of and we see it practiced also in organizations that don't necessarily practice regenerative leadership or know of it as a concept but they are practicing that deeper inner relationship to themselves because they know they can access wisdom that they are not able to with if they only use their minds or their logical brains but it's a deeper form of wisdom that is in the either if we dare tap into it. And what led you personally to write this book, Regenerative Leadership? So I have worked in the field um, of sustainability my my entire life. It started as a as a young girl raising funds to buy up pieces of the Amazon after I had seen a documentary about oil companies destroying the rainforest. And it's a long story of me also working in the Amazon as an environmentalist and going to business school because I thought I wanted to change the machine from the inside out or at least understanding how it operated. And then I have spent 15 years studying organizations working um, through various ways on on the transition to a more sustainable society. And then seven years ago, I had a minor traumatic brain injury, which meant that I couldn't do anything for about two years. Um, I couldn't read or write. I couldn't, I could just be. Um, and I was this typical type A passionate warrior who just wanted to work all the time because I felt the the gravity of the challenges of the world on my shoulders. And I think many other um, passionate world carers will understand what I'm talking about, that sense of, well, I only have so little time in this lifetime and I want to make sure that I, every waking hour is spent on my life mission. And I had no idea about to what extent I was depleting my own inner resources, my own inner ecosystem. And so when I had that injury, I was forced to tap into or surrender rather to something entirely different. Um, and that's when I started to explore the wisdom and healing powers of, of nature. And I thought to myself, what have we done, us who have worked with sustainability? We can't see the forest for the trees. I mean, why are we not studying this wisdom? Nature has all the answers. We can tap into this 3.8 billion years of R&D if we cared to, but we never talk about it. We, we think of nature as something nice we can visit on a Sunday afternoon, but we don't collaborate with nature and we don't lend its wisdom into our organizational design, our product design, etc. Fascinating. And it's really about applying nature's intelligence. Could you name some examples of how we could apply nature's intelligence in the business world? I think there was an example about making the forest our office, for example. Yes, and I know we have many examples in the book, and there are many ways you could tap into nature as a mentor, as a space holder, 
Um, you could use it in, in product design. We see an increase in designers tapping into biomimicry, which means let's tap into the uh, patterns and shapes and forms and functions of nature and how we design our products and services. So that's one area of regenerative leadership, but it can't stand alone. So we also need to think about how can we use nature as, um, as, as a space for our well-being and as a colleague and as a partner. So our natural habitat is nature, yet we spend over 90% of our time, us in the Western world, we spend that indoors under artificial lighting. And it's depleting our inner resources. And we should rather spend more time outside and explore the great outdoors while we work and while we are creative. It's insanity that we talk so much about creativity and innovation and partnership and collaborations. Those are really buzzwords in the business world. Yet, it's when we spend time in nature that we can really tap into our creative ingenuity. We become 50% more creative just after 20 minutes in nature. We become more compassionate. We become more able to collaborate. Our memory improves when we spend time in nature. It has so many great benefits for us that, that some of the regenerative leaders and organizations that we work have really started to move outside as much as they can take their meetings outside do their creative sprints outside and and kind of unleash their creative ingenuity and unleash what it means for them to be fully human and let's stare move away from the illusion that a great worker is someone who who sits in front of a screen under artificial lighting 10 hours a day it's insanity and thankfully there's getting more and more awareness um, and also interest and excitement around the potential of offering your employees and a work life that respects the fact that we are cyclical beings on a cyclical planet and we need to tap into our natural habitat for us to thrive. And over the past decades, you argue, and we've become way too separated from our natural habitat, how did this happen? How can we go back to our roots and move forward with newfound wisdom simultaneously? How can you marry the two? In the book, we describe the fact that um, the journey towards the era of regeneration is also the journey towards reclaiming what we have lost on our collective story through history. So we started for real to separate us from our natural habitat um, when we, doing the medieval Europe, started to make nature the an extension of the work of the devil. Uh, that was the words that were being used, um, and it was it it started during the little ice age that were um, about eighty years of extremely cold, harsh weather in Europe. Um, that meant that people were starving, people were getting sick, and there was a lot of frustration in society. So the Pope, um, in an attempt to do something to solve this challenge, 25 years into the Little Ice Age, he issued an executive order 
coming from the Pope, which said that everyone who was collaborating with nature knew of nature's ways, knew of, knew of nature's wisdom, knew of plant medicine or midwives, etc. They had to be exterminated from society. And that was the, the beginning of the of the medieval witch hunts, which lasted for about 250 years. Um, and that has created a, a collective chasm in our psyche as a society. Um, and, and many of those being wounded in that process were women, uh, because it was mainly women who were midwives and, and was working with plants as medicine and knew of, uh, of nature's way in that way. Um, so there created a lot of fear was created in society because suddenly women started to turn um, against each other instead of collaborating. Um, they started to turn their back against each other and they started to fear each other because if it was rumored that you had a black cat or that you used chamomile to treat a sore throat, that could mean the end of life for you and your family. And that, uh, and that, I believe, has really influenced our societies today and something that we need to dare look in the eye. We need to dare sit with that grief that we actually, as a collective, completely started to, to suppress and make illegal our longing and belonging and interconnectedness with nature. And not only that, it was also the feminine essence and the feminine um, ways of, of seeing the world that started to be made wrong during the medieval Europe and the witch hunts were happening at the same time as the beginning and or the dawn of the scientific revolution. So many of the main scientists at the time were actually prosecutors in the, the witch hunts and were those who were um, interrogating these women and were, were taking their lives basically. And that's not something that we talk about a whole lot, but it's something that we need awareness around so so I believe and and that's also something that Jazz and I uh, Jazz Hutchins my co-author and I cover in the book that this journey towards regeneration can only happen if we start to reclaim and, and begin a journey of of reconnection um, and reclaiming the parts of us that we have lost on our way parts of our inner essence parts of our feminine essence our relationship to nature but also as we describe in the book our nurturing of our creative and wild right brain hemisphere. So the right brain hemisphere is that part of us that can tap into holistic thinking, that can think an interconnected system, that can think creatively, that can think outside the box. Our left brain hemisphere, which our education system of today is designed around, was the, was the part of us that was also celebrated during the scientific revolution, that um, rational analytical approach to science, where everything needs to be viewed in parts instead of whole. Um, instead of interconnected wholeness. So that is a journey that needs to happen simultaneously because even though this happened in medieval Europe, during colonialism, this has spread throughout the world. And we then um, ventured out into the world and started to slaughter indigenous people. And really, indigenous people are the true regenerative leaders, and they possess and embody true regenerative wisdom. 
Um, so yeah, I could talk about that for a long time, as you can probably hear, but that's that's part of us daring to look at the root cause of our current friction and um, and situation in society right now, that we need to dare look at what, what have we actually done as a collective and and how can we start a grieving process, a reconciliation process, an acceptance of the bad that our um, that our race has done, and then start to reclaim what we need to embody more of for our societies to tap into whole system health and thrivability. So regenerative leadership talks about any type of leadership role. So this could be as a CEO of a big company or as a caretaker with your children. What tangible actions can any of us take today, tomorrow, to not just minimize their impacts on the planet, but actually give back? So regenerative leadership is not just um, a practice for executives or politicians or the elite, not at all. Um, we are all leaders of our own lives, and regenerative leadership is a practice for all of us. It's all about starting to nurture this mindset or approach to life where we see ourselves as a node in a greater interconnected web of life and an awareness and recognition of the fact that Every action of ours is creating either degenerative or regenerative ripples that can have major impact. It can be, what kind of bank do we have? Where is our pension funds? And what kind of means is that going towards? What, what is that contributing? Is that contributing um, those funds that we have saved for retirement? Is, are they creating regenerative or degenerative ripples? Many people have no idea. So that's a place for you to start to look into. But it's also on the micro level. Every action, um, when you pass a stranger on the street, um, what state are you leaving that stranger in? Could you give that person a smile? When you go grocery shopping, do you have an awareness around where is that apple coming from? How is this apple produced? How, how is it transported here? Does it really give meaning to my life that I'm here in Denmark, can buy apples from Peru? Or that I... Um, it, it's that awareness that every action of ours is an investment in the kind of world that we want for ourselves and our kids. And that mindset can be incredibly powerful um, and I don't mean it in a way where we should suddenly feel the burden of the of the state of the world on our shoulders every second, but it's it, you can have fun with this mindset. But it is about broadening your perspective of the world and abandon that notion that you are just one small little person. You are not. You can have major impact regardless of where you are because you are constantly sending out a signal in this world that people are reacting to and can get inspired by. So do you dare have those conversations? If you have listened to our conversation right now and, and what I have shared now, and if that is... Um, if that is triggering or enlightening or in any way interesting to hear, could that be something that that you could start in a discussion around in your circle of friends, for example, um, our our disconnection to nature? 
or our suppression and, and, and yeah, our suppression of the feminine. Is that something you could start to have conversations around in your circles of influence, regardless of how small or big they are? So we are all influencers all of the time and we need to be aware of that. Of course, I also want to touch on family and conscious living. You mentioned that you just moved back to Copenhagen when still at farm in Portugal, studying the principles of nature. What really stood out to you about how your children engage with nature as opposed to yourself growing up in a city? Mm. So it was quite interesting to witness um, both my daughters. She was seven when we moved to the farm in Portugal. And we were living with uh, with another Danish family and their kids were four and seven. And it was interesting to witness all three of them. And, 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 and we also have a son, but he was 10 months when we moved to Portugal. So for him, that was how he, he was brought up. And he was not used to city life, but the three other kids were. And it was interesting how in the beginning they moved like city kids, which means that um, they stayed very close to us. They were a bit fearful about the big premise that we were suddenly living on, um, the animals, the forest, etc. cetera. Um, and then it happened gradually but they started to be more and more curious and really take in the place in their kind of possession in, in a good way. They, they started to move like nature. It was fascinating to witness all of them climb trees and jump around in the lakes in the forest and, and really be, be these uh, wild nature children instead of um, moving in a way where... Uh, your movements are more kind of rigid and more fearful. Suddenly it felt like like witnessing a, a flower unfold in a way. It was something we were all, the, the adults were quite fascinated about. And, um, and it brought us great joy, but also great kind of awareness around what we are doing to city kids at a large scale. So many city kids are rarely outside. So many kids are spending a lot of time looking in a screen. Um, so there was also grief around that. But, um, but it definitely encouraged us to, now that we are back in the city, to make sure our kids get constant access to nature and that we continue to nourish that bond and relationship between them and nature. And, and not seeing it as something separate that we visit from time to time as a, as a family trip, but it's part of, of their way of life. Also to tap into to seasons and tap into um, that sense of wonder, a sense of awe that, that, that kids and also adults have when they, when they create this close bond to nature. Yeah, because for many of us, it would be easier to slow down and connect to nature when you're living on a farm, in the wild, do you have specific advice for people, for parents, children looking to reconnect when they're living their fast-paced, modern lives? Um, yes, I would talk to my kids about the seasons we are currently in. I would talk to my kids about um, wonderful things that nature does. I would make sure they have access 
to great books about insects and how ecosystems work and really help them nourish that sense of curiosity to their natural habitat. Um, and not as something just to study, but as something to explore, a natural part of your approach to life. But also this sensing into the fact that we are, as I said before, cyclical beings on a cyclical planet. So many parents, in my opinion, are pacing their kids through a kind of lifestyle where you expect from them to be in constant spring and summer, constantly perform, constantly try out new extracurricular activities and play the piano and play soccer. And when I look at the schedule of many kids in our modern lives, I get exhausted. Um, we expect so much from our kids without creating safe spaces for them to nourish their inner connection. Um, and that's something that we need to help create as parents. We need to help create those safe spaces for our kids to explore their inner emotional landscapes. Let them explore whatever feeling they are feeling without it being shut down because we don't have time to process it with them because they need to play the flute or whatever. Do you understand what, what I'm saying? Totally. We expect so much from our kids, but we are not letting them tapping into the wonders, the depths, the restorative powers of autumn and winter. And in fact, we're doing the opposite. We are making them fearful of that. We are making them fearful of their own inner autumn and own inner winter, making them fearful of what it means when I feel sad or um, because we, it's, it's part of human life to experience also cycles of, of darkness and sadness. And we need to be able to hold space for those, um, feelings as well and accept them as part of a, of a human experience instead of making them disconnected from themselves. Because that's where it really, really starts. We can only encourage our kids to have a strong connection to their natural habitat if they dare have a strong connection to themselves. Nature thrives thanks to diversity and no kid can be expected to be at a certain performance level at a certain age. It's actually something that is making me sick to my stomach that so many kids are suffering because um, they see the anger or the sadness in the parents' eyes if they're not performing according to a effed up curve of what they need to be able to do at a certain age. It's, um, it's insanity. And it's actually, yeah, it's something that I feel strongly for because I believe that we are continuing to create these dysfunctional ripples in society because we are passing on our own trauma to the next generation. And you've shared a lot of tips already, but maybe you also have just a very specific tip for any modern family to just slow down. I think it all boils down to the courage to, to slow down because there's so many expectations as to what a great life is. And many of those expectations involves things in the outer world or hosting fancy dinner parties or fancy playdates for our kids. It's, it has a lot to do with performance. And do we as parents and families dare to do the opposite? Do we dare to show imperfection to the outer world? Do we 
Do we dare to say no to things so that we actually have time to reconnect to ourselves, to our spouse, to our kids? Or are we constantly just saying yes to performing in the outer world? So have the courage to say no and have the courage to not do, but just be. Do you feel this is also a gateway to raise the next generation of regenerative leaders? Yes, of course. I mean, it all starts now with our kids. Um, And if it's not part of their upbringing to cultivate that connection to their inner emotional landscapes, I mean, then they have to do what we have been through of having to learn it at the age of 35 or 45 or 55. I don't know. It's It's our responsibility to create the conditions for our children and the next generation to flourish and dare do the opposite of what we are programmed by society to think is the recipe for um, ensuring our, our kids gets a successful life because the definition of a successful life is very much things that has to do with titles and possessions and not to do with inner health and vitality. And we need to change that. Different type of riches, yeah. And apart from children, um, just, you know, people in general, of course, not everyone has space for that mindset of thinking and living more consciously. Like some people simply don't have the privilege. How can we still engage more people to think about regenerative societies? It's about what conversations we are willing and ready to have with our circle of influence and also recognize if you are born with privilege. And if you are born with privilege, we have a great sense of responsibility to to fight for those that do not have that same privilege. And that's something that is very alive within me. How do I make sure I spent the life that has been given to me to create the kind of societies that I that I dream about and long for so that I also pave the way for sisters and brothers in countries that don't have access to the same kind of privilege that I do. You also talked about feminine energy. What does feminine energy mean to you and why is it so important right now with regards to regenerative leadership? For me, feminine energy is something all genders, what you identify by, is something we we all have. And, and for us to thrive, we need a healthy alchemy between our inner masculine and our inner feminine. And the suppression of the feminine is something that has caught great suffering to all gender. And for us to carve out a new way, we need to dare embrace our our feminine capacity. And the feminine is the part of us that is able to think holistically. It's part of us that are able to tap into compassion, that that sense of being a caretaker, a nurturer, a steward. And those are qualities that we need now more than ever. But it's not just the role of women. It is all genders and all definitions that need to tap into and cultivate a stronger relationship to their feminine capacity. Do you feel also work environments should become more quote-unquote feminine? Yes, I believe that we have had decades with a very masculine work culture. And it's making us ill. Um, and, 
And it, the time is here now for more of a feminine energy in the workplace. Um, but as I said before, that needs to be embodied by all gender. Um, I'm very much an advocate against um, polarization, which is also part of the masculine. The masculine loves to create polarization and, and the feminine loves to bring things into union and, 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 and create union and alchemy. And, um, and we need to be aware that, that we need both polarities for us to create thriving environments and communities and workplaces and we need to dare let go of the hyper masculine work environments that we have created and replicated for so long and and i have been contributing to that as well in my younger years i became an executive at quite a young age and i told myself or maybe people told me i don't know what happened when but suddenly i was wearing black suits and i felt myself talking like a man and showing up like a man um and and it has been a process of unlearning and 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 letting go of that toxic masculinity that that we can all tap into if it's not in balance um with our feminine energy then i have a few final questions What has made you feel really hopeful as of late? It could be something big, something small. What is giving me a lot of joy these days is that people in the regenerative space, we who have been talking about these things for a very long time and have been used to being kind of ridiculed or laughed at, are suddenly being taken very seriously. Um, there is a receptivity to um, to these ideas and this approach to life. Um, and that is bringing me a sense of relief in a world that can look pretty dire. Could you paint a picture of what our world from cities to schools could look like if we take a holistic, regenerative approach to the transformation of our societies? Like what will be your dream outcome, so to speak? My dream would be that all organizations, all companies are only here if they are contributing to whole system health and vitality. My dream is that we live in cities where we do turn sunlight into energy and purify water um, and where we tap into the technologies that are already there and accessible for us to create environments where we can actually breathe the air because it's... It's clean and crisp. Um, I dream of a world where our education system is catering to this uh, journey of reconnection that I was talking about, nourishing both our left brain hemisphere, our right brain hemisphere, our inner ecosystem, our outer ecosystem. I long for cities that are built on principles um, of a forest and where it feels like walking around in a forest. And that's, that's, that's possible. We can create cities that feels like forests. That's a great dream of mine and that we have greater access to, to community living, regardless of how that may look to the individual. Um, I myself am an introvert, um, so I don't need people around me all the time. But still, we all need that sense of belonging and that sense of interconnectedness in our relationships on a daily basis. 
Um, I long for a world where we don't fool ourselves to believe we are only valuable to an organization if we put in um, 40, 50 of, or even more of our precious hours in a week, um, but we spend more time with our families. Um, yeah, I, I could go on and on, but um, I have a very clear dream in my mind of what a regenerative world could look like. Um, and what is making me positive is that on the one hand, we haven't, we, we have never been further from that dream that we are today. But then on the other hand, there's also a part of me that feels that we are reaching a collective threshold that to some extent we are closer than we have ever been because we have the technologies, we have the know-how and there's a, a sudden shift in collective global consciousness that is happening right now at a speed that I've never witnessed before. There is a collective longing for deeper meaning and for a collective longing for being stewards of our planet and for contributing to the greater good of society and to leave the old uh, patterns of destruction and degeneration that we have been a part of for so long. What is needed right right now to realize such a future? My first answer would be courage. And courage often comes together with fear because there's so much fear in society that it can be really hard to tap into your to your courage. But it's what is needed the most right now is for us to collectively dare to let go of what no longer serves us, is for us to dare show up in the world in a way that feels true and authentic to our true inner essence, that we dare question the system, that we dare question norms um, and, and, and destructive patterns instead of just fooling ourselves and believing that that's just how it is and that's just how it has to be, because I believe that's an illusion. So courage and, um, and, a, and, a, and a careful, kind letting go of fear. Courage, I'll take that with me. Good note to end on. Well, thank you so, so much for your time this afternoon. It was really lovely talking to you. Thank you so much for letting me be part of your series. Thanks so much for having a listen. If you'd like to be notified when a new episode is up, please hit subscribe. And also feel free to leave a comment. We're very happy with any feedback. Have a beautiful day and until next time.